Welcome to the podcast for North Decatur Presbyterian Church. We are a Presbyterian USA congregation located in Decatur, Georgia. You can find out more information about the church, our service to the community, and our great education programs for children, youth, and adults at ndpc.org. And you can follow us on Facebook. If you're in the Atlanta area, we hope you'll come and join us in person. That's it. On to this week's scripture and sermon. Good morning. The scripture reading for today is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 21, verses 25 through 36. There will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars, and on the earth distress among nations confused by the roaring of the sea and the waves. People will faint from fear and foreboding of what is coming upon the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the human one coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, when these things begin to take place, stand up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Then he told them a parable. The fig tree and all the trees, as soon as they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the reign of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Be on guard so that your hearts are not weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of this life. Or that day may catch you unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come upon all who live on the face of the whole earth. Be alert at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that will take place and to stand before the human one. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. 
such a charming little Advent story. <laughs> Nature signals the apocalypse. Waves roar and crash on the seashore. People fainting from fear. The powers of the heavens themselves are shaken. God is coming, and it's not clear whether it's to destroy us or deliver us. The message of this particular story is that the reign of God is drawing near. You, you, the beloved people of God, will experience something that you have never experienced before. You will be free, truly free, free from heartache, free from hardship, free from every kind of oppression. A new heaven and a new earth are coming. And when they come, they bring a communion of peace and of love among all people. That day, this story says, is coming. It's coming, but don't fall asleep. Don't miss the signs. I'm going to venture a guess that very few of you put a lot of stock in apocalyptic stories. Why should you, right? We're all sitting here on this remarkably mild Sunday in December. Life is pretty good for most of us. For most of us, there's food in the refrigerator at home. We're busy finishing our Christmas lists. Maybe we're baking a few of our favorite holiday recipes. We're putting the tree up. Life is pretty good. When we do come to church on Sunday, we come out of old habit. It's a warm and familiar place. We come to see friends, to hear good music that we hear at this time of year. Very few of us came this morning to hear about the world ending. So what are you supposed to do with this story? Why even read it? Well, I do think there's something in Apocalypse that we all need to hear. So what is it? What is it? Well, first, we need to know what apocalyptic literature is about. The word apocalypse means unveiling. 
In scripture, apocalyptic stories are a genre that appear every now and then, and in them, God pulls aside a veil to reveal a hidden and dramatic deliverance that God is about to bring. In apocalyptic stories, There is often a battle, a cosmic battle taking place. There is a struggle. There is often a period of suffering. And it is followed by a victory. Apocalyptic stories offer hope. Just when hope seems to be lost. So Luke wrote down his story of Jesus and the book of Acts with it just after the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed yet again, this time by the Romans. He wasn't including apocalypse in his gospel just to be dramatic, just to sell books. People were already stirred up. They were already anxious. Luke was saying to them, pay attention. Amidst this destruction, the reign of God will appear. Luke's apocalypse continues from this story in chapter 21 through the trial and the death of Jesus on the cross. But you and I know that that is not the end of Luke's story. The reign of God does emerge out of the destruction and out of the death. And that reign is already unveiled for those whose eyes are open. For those whose eyes are open, God's reign does not look anything like the reign of the Roman Empire. There are no marching armies in the reign of God enforcing our submission and compliance. There is no king sitting on a throne surrounded by riches. The reign of God looks like friends sitting around a table eating and drinking. It looks like love for your enemies. It feels like this rain feels like the wind of God blowing you toward relationships with people that you have no business talking to. The reign of God that this apocalypse unveils looks exactly like the song that Mary sang at the very start of Luke's story. Before she could even see what was going on, she sang, the Lord has done great things for me, pulling the mighty down from their thrones, lifting up those who are lowly, filling the hungry with good things. Mary saw beneath what was visible to the eye. In every apocalypse, 
there is a moment. There is a moment when you are asked to see. A moment when to the eye, destruction and despair appear to have the upper hand. It appears to the eye like the long night of suffering will never end. But for you, to whom the truth has been unveiled, you see the dawn beginning to break. There is a moment at which everything turns. There is a turning point. What is that turning point? How do we talk about that moment when God gives to us the ability to see God's redemptive, liberating work beneath what is visible. The poet T.S. Eliot wrote wonderful poems, maddeningly confusing poems, and stunningly beautiful poems. In his poem, The Four Quartets, Eliot spoke about the still point of the turning world. What a marvelous phrase, right? The still point of the turning world. Eliot was trying to find words to describe that moment that all of us know, that moment when the chaos and the futility of life are pushed back, that moment when we are free from compulsion, both that which comes from outside and that compulsion that comes from within, that moment when we are free from suffering. That moment is a still point. It is the point where eternity enters into time. It is that point when grace completely enfolds our being. It is that point when we feel love around us, within us. When God's truth finds you, it is a stillness. Be still and know that I am God. I don't know how much time you make in your life for stillness. Especially at this time of year, it can be hard to find. I confess to you that I have never been any good at slowing down. How can you slow down when there's always so much to do? 
My resistance to stillness is slowly being worn down. Maybe it's because I'm being worn down. So be it. But I am finding myself more open than ever to the intentional pursuit of stillness. Part of what has always opened me to the idea of stillness is the influence of one person whose name is Howard Thurman. You've probably heard Beth or I talk about Thurman before. Howard Thurman was a mentor to our friend and to Beth's mentor, the Reverend Dr. Paul Smith. Thurman was one of the great civil rights leaders of the 20th century, one of the greatest freedom fighters of the 20th century. Although he is never talked about in that way, Thurman was a freedom fighter for the integrity of the soul. It was Howard Thurman who went to India and met with Gandhi in the 1930s and talked with him about nonviolence. It was Howard Thurman who studied with the Quaker mystic Rufus Jones. It was Howard Thurman who led one of the first multiracial congregations in the United States in the 1940s. It was Howard Thurman's book, Jesus and the Disinherited, that Dr. King carried with him for spiritual sustenance. Howard Thurman was a mystic. He is also mysterious. How did this man, born in rural Florida in the late 1800s, born into Jim Crow America, how did this man who lived his life in the midst of our racial apocalypse how did he figure out how to drop down into stillness? How did he discover that in stillness he would find that his being was fundamentally connected to reality itself? How did he find in stillness that he himself was a participant in truth, that love was in him. I don't understand how he did it, but he did. And Thurman's unassailable connection to that deep truth the deep truth of black belovedness, the deep truth of nonviolence, the deep truth of reconciliation. Thurman's unassailable connection to deep truth provided strength and sustenance for the entire civil rights movement.
Howard Thurman's practice of stillness was a practice of seeing beneath the visible apocalypse, a paying attention to what God is always unveiling. I want you to hear Howard Thurman in his own words this morning. I'm going to read a passage from Thurman's book, Meditations of the Heart. In this passage, you'll hear him talk about his own search for stillness, which he calls centering down. What a great phrase, right? Centering down. What you'll hear is what Thurman describes happening when he centers down. And when all of us try to meditate, something familiar happens. We try to sit still and be quiet. And then when we do, our minds start working in overdrive, it seems. He describes the questions that come at him relentlessly during this quiet time. And then he says it's not the questions that we're listening for. It's what happens underneath the questions. So, I'm going to read this slowly, and I need you to know there's uh, several folks who have talked about hearing Howard Thurman speak in public, and they say he talked so slowly, it seemed sometimes that he had fallen asleep at the lectern. Listen to Howard Thurman. How good it is to center down. To sit quietly and see one's self pass by. The streets of our minds seethe with endless traffic. Our spirits resound with clashings, with noisy silences. While something deep within hungers and thirsts for the still moment and the resting lull. With full intensity we seek, ere the quiet passes, a fresh sense of order in our living, a direction, a strong, sure purpose that will structure our confusion and bring meaning in our chaos. We look at ourselves in this waiting moment, the kinds of people we are. The questions persist. What are we doing with our lives? What are the motives that order our days? What is the end of our doings? Where are we trying to go? Where do we put the emphasis and where are our values focused? For what end do we make sacrifices? Where is my treasure and what do I love most in life? 
What do I hate most in life? And to what am I true? Over and over the questions beat in upon the waiting moment. As we listen, floating up through all the jangling echoes of our turbulence, there is a sound of another kind. a deeper note which only the stillness of the heart makes clear. It moves directly to the core of our being. Our questions are answered. Our spirits refreshed. And we move back into the traffic of our daily round with the peace of the eternal in our step. How good it is to center down. Friends, when you hear apocalyptic stories, stories about roaring waves and darkened suns and worlds ending and new ones beginning, don't be quick to assume the authors are talking only about external realities. The mystics, mystics like Howard Thurman and Mary, the mother of Jesus, have told us again and again that the world outside of us is a kind of projection of the world inside of us. They have reminded you and I that there is no way for us to be oriented to what God is doing around us if we are not oriented to what God is doing within us. So, amidst all of the roaring 
of the waves and amidst all of the deep injustices that we see and know and amidst all of the chaos and the confusion of the world around us, there comes to us a persistent message from Scripture, a persistent invitation from God. It comes again and again and again. Lie down in green pastures and stay beside the still water. Listen for the still, small voice. Peace, be still. Be still. And know that I am God. 